Well, it's a blessing to be here in your midst and anticipate spending this week with you all. Um, maybe I'll say a word or two about my family first. I think some of y'all at least knows some of our family and somewhat know about us, but my wife and I have six children, five boys and a girl, and it wasn't always that way. We spent nine years alone before our first child came, and so we feel blessed about the children that we have that God has granted to us. Um, we have Sean and Shannon and Sheldon, three older boys, and then Alicia, and then Alan and Adrian on the tail end, and they've just about all scuttled through the Bible school years. We have our youngest will attend Bible school yet, probably. He's currently 15, so it'll actually be a little bit yet till he'll be able to go, but we have a farm, and we enjoy working together, and it's, uh, it's been a good life with the blessing of God. As we uh, think about this week, why we're at the threshold of a week of revivals, and think for a moment about where does revival come from? And the root word, of course, would be revive. And there's a number of different ways that the word revive can be used. As you think about for a moment the word revive, one would be one use would be to bring something back that has been maybe put on the shelf and it's revived into use again. And one example of that would be we, we run red farm equipment and years ago why international made the farm all tractors and then they, they ceased to be. And here within the last number of years, Case IH has revived that name, Farmall, and it's imprinted on the hood of some of their new tractors they're putting out. And so that, the, that name was revived. And so you might have old currencies or old customs or whatever. And another term or the usage of the word revive would be medical use. Um, you know, if someone is revived, Maybe their heart has stopped and they're, they're revived back to life. And we, had, we heard a story up at the Hartwell Center last year. Um, Johnny Miller, whom some of you might know of at least, who works with CAM and had been over at the orphanage in Romania for a number of years, told a story about one of their young VS boys that was one day working in the generator shed there. Apparently, there they had a generator at the uh, facility and the engine was running and he needed to do some work in the bottom of the fuse box and it was a big box like as tall as a man standing up and he had the door open and the engine was running and generating power and he was doing something with a grounding lug in the bottom of that box and accidentally bumped his head into the power legs and it, it electrocuted him, and there was a one of the boys there from the orphanage was there with him, and he ran up to the house and Mr. Johnny, you need to come. And um, his son got Johnny's son got there first, and the young Vieser was still slumped over in the electrical box, and he there, he thought, looked around there and found a piece of wood and knocked him out of the box and had him. When Johnny got there, he was laying on his back on the floor in the small area between the generator and the wall, and he said his eyes were rolled back, his face was gray, and foam was coming out of his mouth, and he felt his pulse, and there was no pulse. And he said he stood there in shock and in disbelief, and said his son screamed at him, Dad, do something! And he said that 
sort of kicked him into gear and he had had some medical training and he started performing CPR on that young man and said for 10 or 15 minutes he he performed CPR on that young VS boy and said that the orphanage uh, children would come up to two or three of them and look in the door and shake their head and walk away and just one after the other and but he said after about 15 minutes he said he started getting a little collar back into his face and he he paused for a moment and hollered to his son go get the I forget the name of the man that worked with Johnny there go get him and tell him to come and he said just in those few moments his face went gray again, and he said his heart smote him for stopping that CPR. But he went back to doing it again and um, said he didn't know it, but his son had those orphanage children up on the hill in a line and on their knees, and they were praying for that life of that young man. And as the story went, he, the young man revived, and he actually is living today and said that he, he the young VSer, considers that, that he owes his life to the prayers of those uh, boy children that were in that orphanage and said to this day he visits, he's, the orphanage is no longer in existence, those children are adults, said he visits every one of those former orphans annually. He said he goes around the world, South Africa, Germany, and wherever they're all located, and he's, he feels like he owes them his life. Um, God worked a miracle there, person that was electrocuted and by all appearances had lost his life, was brought back. Um, so think about revival. Um, you know, there's a spiritual sense that we're considering here this week for church. Um, and I trust we're not quite to the, I know we're not to the point of the young man who was electrocuted. But yet, as we go throughout life, things become average and mundane. And even in the spiritual realm, you know, we, um, our brother asked, uh, Brother Philip asked, you know, why did you come to revival meetings tonight? And, you know, it can get to the point where, you know, we're having this week of revivals and I really need to be there and so I'll go. But as we think about this, why, uh, let's think for a moment about some of the aspects of religious revival it's an experience in which we get a renewed interest in the things of god and that's the sense we want to look at this week it's a time in which we pray for a closer sense of god and a closer and more um, complete sense of his indwelling presence it's a time in which we get more committed to personal holiness and we are striving and walking and endeavoring to serve and God as he would want us to. And, of course, as part of that, that we are more um, surrendered to God, you know, as God brings thoughts into our life, that we think about those things and yield up areas to him. And then also uh, more concerned about others' eternal destiny as well as our own, and then more aware of the day of judgment. You know, God is working on this earth and he brings certain things to pass and experiences into our lives and as we uh, go throughout life why God has a plan and we're we're just a little small bit of his overall universal plan for mankind 
So moving on then to the subject of the evening, why I'd like to talk about how that the fear of God leads to life. Um, as we think about God, why, uh, you know, what, what is your view of God? Um, is God the big benevolent granddaddy that just passes out the goodies? Um, or is he the dad with the big stick that is there waiting to clobber you? Or what, what is your view of God? Um, you know, it tells us in the scripture, and we'll look into some of those in a little bit, that a healthy fear and respect for God is part of the package of living the Christian life. Uh, trying to serve God without fearing him doesn't work and is frustrating. And serving the Lord without fear is like building a house on a sand without a foundation, and it won't stand. You know, walking with God has a lot of angles to it, and um, often we need to make choices in which we know is the right thing to do, and yet our nature may be calling for something else. You know, um, the scripture tells us that there's three ways that we're tempted, and one was from our own carnal nature, and then the other, secondly, then, is for the influence of those around about us. We might, Brother Enos that used to work with us and has passed on now, talked about the corrosiveness of culture. And, you know, borrowing a word from the metal industry, you know, when metal gets salt on it and won't moisture away, it rusts. And, you know, his analogy was that we as Christians get rusty because as we go throughout life and you know, our, our surroundings affect us, and what people think and say needs worked against by the uh, positive influence of Scripture, and it, it's a continual balance to keep that happening. So we have the, uh, our own carnal nature and the surroundings about us, and then, of course, the suggestions of Satan himself, and these three things come together to affect us, and we need to continually strive to live a life of victory. But sometimes people, even when they're working for a life of victory, will end up making foolish choices and wander around in defeat. But there is a way to have a prosperous and a successful walk with God. I hope my throat holds out. If y'all want to pray for me this week in particular, pray for my throat. I I got a pretty bad cold about Wednesday and struggled with it through Saturday and I actually preached yesterday morning and got along fine. And last night I was eating some cheese and ham and had the cough and somehow sucked part of that down my throat. And till I coughed all that out, my throat was very raw. And so um, the cold is basically gone, but I still am not 100% in my throat. But as we think about the, uh, the purpose of the Old Covenant was to teach people what God was really like. You know, in the Mount Sinai experience, when they'd come up out of Egypt and Moses and the people of Israel were there on Mount Sinai, God came down and met with them. And his voice and the manifestations of nature, the thunderings and the lightnings and all that that accompanied that frightened the people of Israel so badly that they said, to Moses, don't let, don't let God do this to us again. You know, you be the go-between. You, you hear from God and then you tell us. And we, we can't handle this. And that, that's fear. Um, and we want to talk about some angles of fear. And that's not necessarily the type of fear that I'm talking about tonight. 
But at other times in the Old Testament, God dealt with people severely. Um, you know, he opened up the ground to swallow up people that were rebelling against him and his leaders, uh, condemned others to captivity in a strange land. And But as we think about the fear of God in the New Testament, <clears throat> the grace of God comes to us and gives us enablement to live for him. And yet we need to understand God and respect him for who he is in order to be able to properly serve him. And so in the New Testament, why the theme instead of that awesome fear is grace. And at the same time, we need to know the fear of the Lord in order, in order to truly live under grace. Um, we need to know that God is a God of justice, that he hates sin, and that he can't tolerate it that he desires for people to love and serve him, that he extends mercy to us. Let's turn to the 14th proverb. Um, I'd like to read two verses here, and I'll read some along and along that talks about the fear of the Lord and how it uh, helps us in our Christian walk. Of course, in the Old Testament here, it was not Christian at that time, but the, the ones that were endeavoring to serve God 14th Proverb, verse 26. In the fear of the Lord is strong confidence, and his children shall have a place of refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to depart from the snares of death. So here it brings out how that the fear of the Lord is a very positive thing. Um, it said, it's a strong confidence. You know, to be linked with God is a blessed place to be. Um, God as the creator and sustainer of the universe. We can cooperate with him and with his indwelling spirit within us to um, guide and aid us. Why, we can have a strong confidence, and it talks about that in Hebrews, how that we can come boldly to the throne of grace. And I don't think that means arrogantly, but it means with a sense of quiet confidence, we can come to God's presence. And of course, things have changed from the Old Testament uh, till now with the uh, ripping of the curtain between the uh, holiest of holies and the outer court, we can have direct access to God. But the fear of the Lord is a strong confidence and his children shall have a place of refuge. Um, proper respect for God gives us um, a place of comfort and reliability. You know, it's, it talks about Jesus said in the New Testament, I would have gathered you as a hen takes her chicks under her wing. And that's sort of what it's talking about here. As we cooperate with God, we can have a sense of security. It's like a well-rounded family. The children are under the care of their parents, but yet, um, you know, as they take their place, they can feel very comfortable there. They're, they're provided for and they're helped and they're given instruction and they're gaining in their uh, walk of life. And then it goes on here and says, uh, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to depart from the snares of death. And so the fear of the Lord is a strong confidence. And it's a good influence in the hearts of godly men and women. Think for a moment about the several aspects of the fear of the Lord. One is awe of God. Um, you know, I've heard... People already use the term all rather carelessly, like that awesome pizza or that awesome whatever. But 
um, I, that's probably stretching that word a little bit, but when it applies to God, it truly is um, worthy to be used there. Awesome God. Um, think about all that he's done in the creation of the universe. You know, the, the folks of society around us today is very, very prevalent to say that it just came into existence. It happened over many millions of years. But we believe the scriptural record that in six 24-hour days that God spoke the earth and all the things that, that consists within it, including the plant and animal life and us humans ourselves, into existence. And that's awesome. That is truly worthy of all. Um, so then, secondly then, the fear of God consists of hatred for sin. Uh, all is under God's control. And let's turn to the 16th Proverbs here, um, verse 6, and it says, By mercy and truth iniquity is purged, and by the fear of the Lord men depart from evil. And so as we consider God and put him in his place with mentally, he's who he is, and we're, we're but a grain of sand by comparison, and as we take his instructions and put them to work in our lives, then and hate sin is part of it, why uh, by the fear of the Lord we can depart from evil. And so um, yeah, another angle along with awe and reverence for God is hatred for sin. Uh, so we think about how the fear of God helps us to combat sin in our life, to resist sin. Why, you know, Joseph in the Old Testament is an expiring example of this. You know, he... Uh, was one who walked in the fear of God every day. You know, someone has said there's not one negative thing written about Joseph, and maybe there is, but I, I don't know of it. Um, and, you know, he feared God at home with his parents and his family, and then in a heathen country, while away from godly authorities and friends. And even when he was locked up in prison, Joseph refused to turn his back on his God. You know, Joseph was the favorite child of his father, and there, there was probably some problems there, but he had that colorful coat made for him, which was a symbol of his special position, and his large family of brothers hated him because of this. And when Jacob sent Joseph to check on his brothers when they were out tending sheep, why, uh, they caught him and saw this as the opportunity to deal with this problem as they saw it. And... He ended up being torn from home and sold into the strange land of Egypt as a slave. And, but you know, in his new Egyptian home, Joseph walked with God. Uh, God caused everything that he did to prosper, it says. And his master um, noticed him there as he was in the home of Potiphar, and he put him in charge of everything he had. And because of Joseph's faithfulness, God blessed all that the master had with his house and his fields also. And, you know, in the midst of all this blessing, Potiphar's wife began to notice him and began to entice him and ask him to commit adultery with her. And, you know, put yourself in that situation. Uh, many people, and I trust that we wouldn't, but many people in that situation would have gotten bitter toward God and said, if this is the way... God treats me, I don't want anything to do with him. And he was out there, and nobody would know, and he was far from home, and, you know, his church, you might say, had rejected him and sold him down into slavery, and 
you know, they would have been bitter toward God and family, and instead of saying no to temptation, they would have felt like they deserved the pleasure of such a sin. But instead, Joseph refused to indulge in this sin, and he revealed his fear of God. Let's flip to Genesis chapter um, 39, I believe it is, verse 9. Yes, he said, There is none greater in this house than I, neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? The perspective of this young man that was all alone for these number of years in a foreign land and far from home and far from church and far from anyone that had taught him anything about God in this setting of godless idolaters, said, I can't do this and sin against God. That man had a proper fear of God in his life, and it was a guiding influence that stuck with him regardless of where he was and what he was doing. He took a stand for God, and he refused to uh, yield the temptation, and he walked with God in prison and served him there just as he had before. You know, one, one bad stroke after the other came to him, and he, uh, the keeper of the prison noticed how well controlled he was and put him in charge of the prison. He was in control of his life. He took a stand for God. He refused to yield to temptation and came through each trial pure and with a free heart. And God wants each of us in that position to have such an overriding sense of his presence that we are endeavoring and and successful in that endeavor, that we are going to walk in God's path, regardless of the obstacles that might would come to us. Um, you know, Satan would like for us to come through each trial more disillusioned and more tangled up in sin than before. But by God's grace and by yielding us to him and seeking him daily, we can come through with full confidence and yielded to God and so Joseph had all these trials, to summarize briefly, those of, that of being special, that of being despised and hated, that of being kidnapped and sold, that of being trusted with the household, moral temptation, falsely accused, sent to prison. And let's turn to Psalm 36, and we'll notice here then um, this psalm, which describes a person that has no fear of God. We've looked here at this illustration of Joseph that had absolute fear of God and confidence in him. It wasn't a quaking fear, but a fear that turned into shoe leather and in reality was able to order his life in a godly way. And here in Psalm 36 it says, The transgression of the wicked saith within his heart, There is no fear of God before his eyes. For he flattereth himself with his own eyes until his iniquity be found hateful. The words of his mouth are iniquity and deceit. He hath left off to be wise and to do good. He deviseth mischief upon his bed. He setteth himself in a way that is not good. He abhorreth not evil. Thy mercy, O Lord, is in the heavens, and thy faithfulness reacheth unto the clouds. Thy righteousness is like the great mountains. Thy judgments are a great deep. O Lord, thou preservest man and beast. And so here it describes the other side of the person that says, there's not a God. Uh, 
it says there is no fear of God before his eyes. So we notice the difference of what the fear of God does within a person. A healthy fear, a healthy respect, a love, and a confidence that God is the one that's in control. And that by dovetailing ourselves with his work and plan and way, that we can receive blessing and that we can have an abundant life. And as far as the way this is described here, uh, flattering himself and his own iniquity is becoming hateful and devised deceit, mischief on his bed and no, no hate for evil. Um, you know, I don't think that we can live any kind of this type of a life. We need to apply our hearts to learning who God is and striving daily to come into, under his uh, direction and care. And so we want to look at some things now that can help us in this. And let's turn to Genesis chapter 6. We'll notice of the, the good Bible character Noah, another man that stood alone and labored for many, many years through faith, doing something, preparing a boat when it had never rained before. And here it says in chapter 6, verse 9, that these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations, and Noah walked with God. So walking with God consists of Bible reading and prayer and going out and implementing. Of course, we can't learn it all in a morning of Bible reading and prayer session. It's an over, um, overarching sense of what we know and what we've learned and what we're able to retain that is, comes to us at the moment of decision to help to dovetail us in the right direction. And that's walking with God. Um, as we go on throughout life, the temptations don't stop, but we can get more and more of a mental grasp of what God wants for us. Uh, Noah walked with God. Let's turn to John chapter 15. I'd like to read verse 5. I'm sorry, I'm in the wrong book. John 15, verse 5, I am the vine, and ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me ye can do nothing. And so um, we see here that, there again, it's the parent-child relationship, or the mother hen and the chick and the wing, or the vine and the branches, um, he that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. You know, the connection to God is where it's all at. And proper reverence and respect for him is a very important part of that in, uh, combination. Let's flip now to Hebrews chapter 11. And I'll look there at verse 6. But without faith it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world, and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. 
We talked about Noah a little bit ago, and here it says that fear was the ingredient that moved Noah to work on that ark. What was it, 120 years? Imagine um, by the rest of the group coming by, the persons that he dwelt with coming by and saying, Noah, what, what are you doing? Uh, where's the water? Um, you know, what are you going to do with that big monstrosity you're building out there in the dry ground? And it's hard telling what all he might have been told. That said, because of the fear and respect he had for God, it wasn't a quaking fear. It was a motivating influence in his life that put him to work and did what God directed him to do. And it was using a hammer and a saw and those type of tools and materials but it was God's motivation and his respect for God that enabled him to do that. Let's turn to Psalm 116. Here in Psalm 116, uh, verse 9, it says, I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. And that's, that's what Noah was doing. Uh, there in the land of the living, he was walking before the Lord. It says, because of the fear of the Lord, he built that ark to the saving of his house. And so think for a moment, what's it mean to walk before the Lord in the land of the living? That's where we're at. We, we live in a land where there's living people. And we want to walk before the Lord it's a way of life that has great benefits. Um, as we take God's yoke upon us, uh, Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart, and my yoke is easy. And my, I forget the last phrase. Uh, anyway, uh, oh, my burden is light. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know, to get into lockstep with Jesus is a blessed way of life. Uh, it's not burdensome to work for someone that you know is in control and that, whose way is going to win. You know, someone has said the summary of the book of Revelation is that our side wins. And, you know, there's a lot of detail in there. But that, that encapsulates it about as short a words as you can say. Our side wins. We can, we can get into combination, into the yoke with the winner, the one that's going to prevail in the universe. And the one that has great benefits in store for us if we walk out and live out that way. We can be blessed as we walk before the Lord in the land of the living. Let's turn to Acts chapter 5 now as we think about um, developing the fear of the Lord. Why um, We'll look at an instance here of God's judgment on sin. And, of course, it's in Ananias and Sapphira, another very familiar uh, passage and story, but I'll read it, Acts 5, 1 to 11. But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession and kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thy heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? Whilst it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost. And great fear came on all them that heard these things. 
And the young man arose, wound him up, and carried him out and buried him. And it was about the space of three hours later when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in. And Peter answered unto her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much? And she said, Yea, for so much. Then Peter said unto her, How is it that ye have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them which have buried thy husband are at the door, and shall carry thee out. Then fell she down straightway at his feet, and yielded up the ghost. And the young men came in, and found her dead, and carrying her forth, buried her by her husband. And great fear came on all the church, and upon as many as heard these things. You know, God judged these two for their dishonesty. And fear came upon them, it says. And there's many accounts in Scripture, and I mentioned a few earlier, primarily Old Testament, in which God judged sin in a very dramatic way. And as we read through the Bible and see story after story of God judging sin and calling to people to account to their disobedience, it's, it should sober us, you know, Thinking about the fear of God, a healthy respect for God, it's part of the package to know that he's a God of judgment. He's a God of mercy and a God of love. But in the end of the day, those sins that aren't covered through the blood of Jesus, when we come to the day of reckoning, will be called to account for. And this is something that happened here um, in time and in space. And we live in the day of grace. And all the accounts aren't settled immediately as these were. Um, you know, we can do something under the undercover and think oftentimes it may not be known immediately. It, oftentimes it does come to light at some point in time. But we can, in essence, get away with it. But know, know this, that God will one day call you to account for whatever happens. Um, a penalty will be required for that sin. Either coverage of the blood of Jesus, which is a solution, or if that isn't uh, enacted, then we will pay the price ourselves in the day of judgment. So as we observe God's judgment of sin, it deepens our understanding of God that um, sins need to be dealt with, and it can inspire a healthy fear of God in our heart. It's thinking about further, about ways to further our fear of God, read and meditate on the words of the Bible. You know, the Bible teaches us about God and his requirements and his character. It takes more than just a casual effort to learn of God's ways. You know, I'm, I'm still learning of things about God that um, just... It's his ways are higher than our ways, and the scripture is full of them. And I'm still learning things that when I learn them and read them in the scripture, it, it, I meditate on it and say, you know, that, that's another angle that I hadn't really thought about before. But if we obey and know uh, the, all that we obey, all that we know, and never reject it, we can grow in our walk with the Lord. And over time, this process will change our life and increase our respect and fear of the Lord. Another angle that helps us in our walk with God, in our fear of God, is to repent of the fear of man. You know, being a follower of God, by necessity, sets a person or a group of persons apart from society. 
You know, the ways of God are so different from what's natural and what is accepted, and especially as a society, as let's be blunt about it, as we see our society turn away from what could have been the ways of God, you know, I'm, I guess there's controversy about whether America was a Christian nation or whether it wasn't. And I'm not going to try to answer that, but I will say this, that a lot of the laws were set up around Judeo-Christian principles. And there was a lot of things that were in place that uh, maintained a certain, on the surface at least, a certain level of morality and decency. You know, one example is they say in the 1920s, just 100 years ago, that if you walked on, I read this in a Mennonite writing, in some Mennonite writings, that if you walked on the beaches of Atlantic Beach down by the Atlantic Ocean, wherever, whichever direction that is from here, I'm, I don't have any idea, but um, that with a woman with her lower legs exposed on the beach could be arrested. And that, that's where we've come from as a nation. Um, well, we know, I don't need to describe where we're at today. Um, you can walk into Walmart with way less than that on and have no fear. Um, you know, down the public, in a, any public place. But we, society is digressing, and in a lot of different ways, not just in those type of avenues, but in morality. And the thoughts about uh, what's right and wrong in um, family settings and all of that, things are going downhill, and I mean fast. And so repent of the fear of man. We've got to fear the Lord. We need to fear the Lord, and we need to reverence only him. And if we're out of lockstep with society, so be it. That's where we're at. It's the only way we'll ever please the Lord. The ways of God are so different from what's accepted in society that we will stand out. The fear of man keeps us from having a true fear of God. Uh, we'll never be able to go all the way with Jesus if we're eyeing those around us and saying, they'll think I'm a little weird or, you know, I, I just hate to do this because that person will whatever. And uh, let's turn to Mark chapter 8. Um, we need to fear God and him only, or we'll never make it in this world. Now, we don't want to be weird just for the sake of being weird, but apply the Bible and its principles, and it is what it is. Um, the, the, that's where we're at. Mark chapter 8, verse 34. And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, that, that's us, we're endeavoring to come after Christ and God. Whosoever will come after me, let him take, deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Now to me that's sobering. Do we want God's um, affirmation? Or do we want him to shield his eyes from us and say, 
I'm ashamed of you. That would be awful. But here it's saying, deny yourself. Lose your life for my sake. Don't try to uh, get advantage with the world necessarily. Um, what can you give in exchange for your soul? And, of course, the answer is nothing. Um, whosoever is, to change the words then of verse 38 a little bit, whosoever is willing to follow me in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him shall the Son of Man give affirmation when he comes. Proverbs 19, it says, The fear of the Lord leads to life, and he who has it will abide satisfied. What can, more can we ask for? And then in the 23rd proverb, it says, Do not let your heart envy sinners, but be zealous for the fear of the Lord all the day long. And so the fear of the Lord is a foundation for a prosperous walk with God. As we strive to walk with him and keep him in his proper place in our mind, that he's the one that's in charge and we're operating under his direction. As we actively learn to walk in the fear of the Lord all the day, late, day long, we can give our lives completely to the Lord and he will lead us to that abundant life and give us wisdom and growth and grace and the victory that we desire 